Thanks for that brownie. Whoa. All right. Okay. That was an introduction. Thanks for that brownie. No pressure. Eh? <laughs> oh, well, welcome to the Centre Church, to um, all our normal people and visitors. So we know today's Mother's Day. <laughs> normal or not normal. Um, I don't have a Mother's Day message because uh, I'm carrying on where Pastor Lisa left off with the Book of Acts. It's something we've agreed on as a leadership. And uh, it's not a coincidence we're doing it. There's a specific reason I think God is pointing us to the Book of Acts. I'll get into that shortly. But just about Mother's Day, it is really, it's, it, the Bible says we should honour our mother and father. And it's really cool that we have a day in the year where we honour our father and mother. And uh, one story that I can never forget, you know, mothers uh, will always do anything for their children. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll sacrifice their lives for their kids. And, uh, but they're also really good at embarrassing their kids too sometimes. <laughs> but my mum managed to do that, saving my life and embarrassing me at the same time. <laughs> uh, it was, I think I was about six or seven and I had, I don't know how I, I entered into some swimming competition and uh, I couldn't actually swim. <laughs> uh, I could doggy paddle, that was it. And uh, all these other kids were really good swimmers. So, and it was an Olympic-sized pool. So <laughs> the race starts, everyone, within about a few a minute, the race is over, I'm not even halfway. <laughs> and so mum could see I was running out of steam and she got really worried and she jumped in the pool with all her clothes on. <laughs> and this is in front of the kids I go to school with and their parents, not realising that I'd actually got to the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> but her intentions, I know what she was doing, so thanks, Mum. Yeah. So don't underestimate, underestimate our mothers. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, we don't have notice today, but, notice today, but that's okay because neither did they have them in the book of Acts. So we don't, it's okay. The title of my message is uh, Keys to the Kingdom. So, I'm, I, I actually struggled to find a way to start this message. And uh, as usual, the Holy Spirit does it at the last minute. And uh, he brought to attention a dream I had last year, and this is what I shared with the leadership team. I'm not going to get into the details because it's, it's, he only showed me a part he wants me to start off with. A part of this dream, the Lord showed me a, a bridge, and on this bridge, the bridge was halfway, was a clean break. And I also saw villagers trying to add dirt on the other side of the bridge, trying to fill in the gap so that we could cross over. Now, the basic meaning of it is the church represents this church, and it's saying that we're in transition. Now, this church has been in transition for a while now. We're not the same church we were 10 years ago. We're not the same church we were five years ago, and we're not the same church we were last year. We're continually changing, and that's a good thing. But the Lord showed me because it was a clean break, because sometimes, sometimes you know, even during worship, or when you're leading up here, or sometimes you feel like things are about to break, and then it just comes to a halt, because we don't know how to step over that line. But the Lord was showing me this, because he said, there's something that's been clean broken, that's been taken out. And uh, I think the Lord is saying it's our perception. 
So the question I would ask you, I'm not going to say, you know, we know what the world thinks of the church. I'm not going to get into that. I don't care about that. It's what you think of the church. So this morning, what did you expect when you came into church? How did you perceive church? Is it just another Sunday? Another day to sit in that seat and go home afterwards? I'm not having a go at anyone, but that's what we all fall into. We get used to something day in and day out. We become comfortable. And there are many reasons why we fall into that trap. I'm not going to get into them. It's not productive. But what we can do, and what is productive, is we can change our perception. So I want to try a little experiment. I want everybody to close their eyes. I just want everyone to drop down into your heart where God is. Now I want you to imagine, rewind this morning. I want you to imagine coming to church. Imagine yourself coming up to the front doors. Now imagine before you hit the front doors, you can feel God outside the building. You feel there's a charge in the atmosphere. Now imagine yourself walking through that door. And the first thing you hear is immense amount of fervent prayer. Not just up the front, but it's happening everywhere. Now imagine yourself walking inside the building and you're overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit and you yourself starts prophesying into the atmosphere. Now imagine lost people, homeless people, sick people walking through that door. Now imagine them walking out and imagine wheelchairs left up the front, crutches left up the front, people receiving good reports, cancer gone. Now imagine... Groups of people, one group here is listening to some teaching, one group here is sharing revelation, one group here is being creative in the spirit, one group here has been fellowship. Now imagine yourself leaving the church. Now open your eyes. The question is, is that how we see church? That's how we should perceive church every Sunday and we should see ourselves leaving with that. Because of that, the whole purpose of leaving with that is because the world needs that. I really didn't know how I was going to put that, so that's totally the Holy Spirit I'm relying on here. You see, I think we tend to think church is just made up of a building. Look, it's really awesome we've got a building, but this building doesn't represent the church. We, the people, represent the church. You see, the church is made up of believers because it takes believing for things to happen. This building doesn't make things happen. This building appeared because we believed. You know? This building appeared because of the foundations laid. You see, the early church in Acts, they didn't need skinny jeans and smoke machines, eh? I always wanted to use that. Uh, they didn't need uh, instruments, they didn't need lighting, they didn't need sound, they didn't need any of that stuff, and I'm not having to go at all that stuff, because it's really cool, we do, we do need it, you know, it, it edifies the church, but what I'm saying is they didn't need it, they weren't trying to fill a hole with technology, I think sometimes the church in general fills the hole with technology, because they think that's what we've got to do, we've got to entertain people to keep them here, we've missed it if you got that far completely missed it. See, the church is built on faith, and it starts with a revelation of who Jesus is. 
So the scripture I'm going to go to is Matthew 16, 13, 20. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's the church right there, built by Jesus on the rock, and the rock is the revelation of Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no church. Without Jesus, there is no way to God. If you've lost your way, go back to Jesus. Go back to the rock, your first revelation. If you haven't got one, you're in the right place to receive one. You see, the church is actually mighty and glorious because Jesus built it. It's his building. It's no one else's. It cannot be defeated. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That's powerful, just in that statement. And Jesus has also given the church, us, the keys to the kingdom. We don't use those keys enough. In fact, we don't even use it sometimes. So what does that mean, keys to the kingdom? It basically means keys to open the door to heaven so people can enter through the preaching of the gospel. So keys... What are keys used for? Well, keys are used to unlock and lock doors. And in the book of Acts, Jesus has given his disciples the keys to the kingdom to open the door, and this is Jesus laying his foundation of the church. Ephesians 2, 19, 20 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom... You also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I'm just going to take a drink. The chief cornerstone. I remember when Pastor Don preached on that. That was a really good message. You know, you don't always get a full revelation until you go home and research it yourself. It's one thing to receive it. That's the whole point. You learn something at church. Go home and, and read it for yourself you'll watch the revelation open up. And, th and that's what happened. To, this is a perfect example of what happened to me here. So I looked into what is the chief cornerstone? Why was he using that word? So I've got a, a little thing here. It says, the chief cornerstone was the first stone laid down on the ground at a corner of, a, of the building, which was then built by adding stones next to and on top of the chief cornerstone. How important was the chief cornerstone? If the chief cornerstone was even slightly out, the entire building would be slightly out. So we have a perfect sacrifice. Here's the Lamb of God. Nothing is out. It's perfect. If your church is built on half a revelation of Jesus, it's completely out. If it's only built on 99.9% .9 of Jesus, it's out. It's got to be totally reliant and built on Jesus the Rock. 
Isn't that amazing that Jesus is the, is the chief cornerstone of the building and each stone which represents us believers being put together and the building grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we are being built together for a dwelling place of God. So this should be a dwelling place, a sanctuary. We do need to change our perception. So now the disciples, they're the first leaders of this new church. And Jesus has given them the authority to open doors to heaven and invite the world to enter. You know, at this point it's important to biblically understand how one enters the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure most of us know that, but I'm going to go over it anyway. John 3 verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said that unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. One is born again as the Holy Spirit works through the word of God to bring about new life to a dead sinner. So faithful preaching of the gospel is the keys to the kingdom. So if we go back to Matthew 16, 9, this is talking about, this is Jesus specifically addressing Peter. And it's so significant in the book of Acts that Peter, I mean, it's not a coincidence that Peter figures prominently in the opening um, pages of the book of Acts. Because he's been used to open three different doors to three different groups of people. If we look at Acts 2, and we heard this last week of the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 Jewish people are saved at Peter's preaching, so he had unlocked heaven to the Jewish people. Later in Acts 8, the Samaritans believed the gospel and received the Holy Spirit again. Peter had unlocked the door to the Samaritans. And then in Acts 10, Peter brings the gospel to a Roman centurion's household, and they too received the Holy Spirit. Again, Peter had unlocked the door for the Gentiles. The keys that Jesus had given them worked in each case. So that got me thinking. That tells me that this church has keys to unlock doors for Capity and beyond. That tells me that individually we have keys to unlock doors in our circle of influence. See, our job is not to make people walk through it. We can't do it. Our job is to open the door and give them the choice. The question is, are we opening those doors? Are we using the keys being given to us by the Lord? That's a question for every single person. No one can escape that, including myself. Talking to myself too. You know, we all got to stand before God at the end of the day, eh? That's the, that is the reality of it. Now, as I said before, keys can be used to lock doors as well as open them. And part of the gospel message is that faith is necessary. Because without faith in Christ, the door of heaven is shut. Period. John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So now... The apostles preached the gospel and those who responded in faith and repentance were granted access to the kingdom of heaven. Yet those who continued to harden their hearts and reject the gospel and God's saving grace were completely shut out. And that was due to their own choice. 
So now if we go to the book of uh, Acts chapter 5, and Pastor Lisa previously went through 1 to 4 and spoke about the day of Pentecost, people being filled with the Holy Spirit and multitudes added daily. So when I got to chapter 5, I realized it was the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and I thought, great, that's an awesome Mother's Day message. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I wasn't going to shy away from it. So... So we know chapter 5 starts off with that story and it's interesting to know that in the chapter before it talks about Barnabas who came and gave all and later he sold everything, he gave, he pretty much sacrificed his life for the church, for God and Ananias and Fire actually saw that and they thought, hmm, I, we want that because they saw the admiration and the respect he received. They weren't interested in sacrificing for God, they just wanted to look like they were doing it. So they did, they sold their land and their possessions, but when it came time to give their portion to the church, they decided actually now we'd better keep some money. Now, there was actually nothing wrong with that. It's the fact they hid it. It was their intention behind it all. They hid it from God. They wanted the perception of people seeing how great they are. Look how awesome I am. Look how holy I am. Unfortunately, churches do have people like that. In Acts 5.2 it says, I'm going to read from Acts 5.2-6. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also been aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now at this time, Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, had a word of, had a word of knowledge from the Lord as Ananias laid the proceeds at his feet. And Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Pretty harsh, eh? The same thing happened to his wife a few hours later. She actually didn't hear what happened. She had an opportunity to change that, eh? She could have repented. She could have been up front when Peter had asked her. But they didn't. So Peter clearly believed the Holy Spirit was a person because you can only lie to a person. Peter also believed the Holy Spirit is God, which it is. So they lied directly to God. Peter also didn't accuse them of lying to the church or to the apostles, but to the Holy Spirit himself. So it's quite significant what they had done. This must have surprised Peter when they died before him. He must have got quite a big shock, but I bet he understood why. I think he did. I think he knew why God did it. Because these guys knew the word, they had it in them. The first thing uh, Peter actually says, and this is the thing that got me when I was thinking about this story, because I thought there's got to be a little bit more to this. Why did, why did God do this? Why was he so harsh? And the first thing that struck me was, Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart? You see, they didn't die because the money kept, they kept back. Peter said, why did you do that? It was yours to do with what you want. We didn't ask for it, you came to us. You could have done what you want with it. You didn't need to lie about it. 
They lied because they wanted to look good, appear to be spiritual and gain admiration from the people. They wanted what Barnabas received when he laid it all. They lied because they loved money. They lied because they rejected God and allowed Satan to enter their heart. Now, Satan actually didn't make them sin. They were willing, they chose to be co-laborers with Satan, is pretty much. You see where I'm going with this? They weren't believers. You know, the heart is where God is, eh? And that's your refuge. Sometimes you can have a, your mind can, you know, you can get stupid thoughts in your head and that, and sometimes things can get quite hard, but you can always go down to your heart, and you know that's where Satan can't get you, because that's where God is. So for someone to actually allow Satan into their heart, it's a big deal. They're gone. They're gone burgers after that. To, to actually reject God and say, you know, it's, it's quite a big deal. So I, you know, and like I said, I'd asked the question for a while, why was God's judgment so harsh and so swift? I mean, it was the era of grace. It was the New Testament, so there must have been a bit more to it. So I did, I started looking into it more. And I found, a, I found, I found the answer, or I think it is. And it comes back to the story of Achan in the book of Joshua. And if you want to, I'm not going to read the story out, I'll just paraphrase it, but if you want to read it, it's Joshua 7, 1 to 26, and 8, Joshua 8, 1 to to 29. So Achan was an Israelite who fought the battle of Jericho with Joshua. And God had commanded the Israelites to destroy Jericho because of its great sin. God also further commanded the Israelites not to take the spoils of war, which they normally were allowed to do. But God said, because their sin was so great and everything that you touch is accursed, do not take anything or it will affect you guys. Don't do it. So Israel didn't do it, but Achan did. And the next time they went to battle, the Israelites lost and suffered a heavy defeat. And Joshua was gutted, and he was like, God, why did this happen? So God revealed to him, just like how he revealed to Peter, what Achan had done. He had taken the robes and jewelry and hid it in a hole under his tent. And I believe he got his family involved, so he's just, you know, got his family in there as well. The result of that was Achan and his family were wiped out. They had to be for the covenant to be restored with Israel. So how does that explain what Ananias and Sapphira died? Well, the church had started. Multitudes were being added daily. If you think about it, if God allowed these two in with their pride, it would have affected the church just like Achan's sin affected Israel. It would totally would have destroyed it. Remember, the gates of hell shall not prevail when these two allowed Satan in their heart, and he would have used them to destroy a church at its beginning stages. This also happened for all to see and hear. Acts 5, 11, 16 says, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were being done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest there joined them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on them. Also the multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. 
See, these two might have died, but the result was the church was walking in the fear of the Lord. Signs and wonders and healing, salvations increased and were happening all over the place. The church kept growing. Remember, God is still a holy God, and His Holy Spirit deserves respect. God was not going to allow Satan to wreck it. Can you imagine if Peter had not listened to the Holy Spirit and speak out the truth? Speak out that word of knowledge and reveal what Satan was doing through Ananias and Sapphira? Can you imagine? This could have derailed the momentum from the day of Pentecost. God was not going to allow that to happen. How many times have we seen a move of God happen and pride bring it right down? I've seen revivals overseas take off. Pride got in the way and it's dead. Completely dead. I've seen people I know full of the Holy Spirit, pride get in the way and totally destroy them. You've got to deal to it. You've got to deal to it. So now the rest of uh, chapter 5 goes on to describe how the apostles were doing many signs and wonders, the church kept growing. But now this got the attention of the religious section, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And one of the high priests from the Sadducees and his followers got very, very angry. (laughs) They didn't like what they were doing. This was going against their belief. So they sent the guards and they arrested all the apostles and threw them into prison. The next day, the high priest says, go and grab them. We want to put them on trial. The guards come back and say, "Uh, they're not there. The, um, The weird thing is that the guards were still standing out the door and the doors were locked, but they were gone. God had sent his angel of the Lord to free the men, free the apostles out. And he also commanded them, after he freed them, in verse 20 it says, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I find it interesting that the apostles get thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. God gets them out and he sends them right back to the temple where the Sadducees are to preach the gospel. That just annoyed the religious sect even more, but it sent a message. You can't stop what God has anointed. The gospel will be preached to anyone and everyone. They could have chosen to accept it or not, but they didn't. So that's pretty much Acts 5 summarized. I encourage you to go and read it. So now if we go to Acts 6, Acts 6 and I'm just going to read verse 1 to 4. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. This was the beginning of the ministry of helps, a brand new ministry, which every church needs. The church was growing so fast, as so many people were joining it, this was needed. The apostles couldn't minister to the word and wait tables. It's just humanly impossible. You can only do one or the other. Because the apostles and like any other fivefold ministry in today era, which is like a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, or apostle, they can't do both because their time is given to continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word purely to edify the church, to lead, to bring vision, 
and most importantly, teach us and make disciples of us. That's its purpose. Now, people tend to think if you're not called into the fivefold ministry or some ministerial role, then you're not anointed or effective. Nothing can be further from the truth. The ministry of helps is just as important as all other ministries. No one is greater than the other or less. We're all the same. One cannot function without the other. It cannot. So the apostles chose some people from the church, just like us normal people. They chose some normal people from the church, like you or me sitting out there. And they chose one guy named Stephen. He was just your normal churchgoer. But they chose him because he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. In verse 7 it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. So the direct result, the ministry of helps, was increase. Increase. So now the rest of the chapter 6 and 7 goes on to describe the acts of Stephen. Your normal churchgoer had his own, he's written in the Bible. In verse 8 it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So there's no excuse for the average churchgoer to be like Stephen. There's no excuse for me to be like that, full of the Holy Spirit and power, to do signs and wonders and miracles. There's no excuse. We can do it. We've got to change our perception. We've got to believe. We've got to be united. You know, if you hear gossip, tell it to shut up. We don't need it. It doesn't do anything other than cause division. Why, why bother? You've got a problem with someone? Go talk to a leader and leave it there. You know? You don't need to bring other people's dirty laundry out into the open either, right? That's not your job. The Bible says that we should all be of one heart and of one mind. That's the only way we're going to achieve this. If we want to cross that bridge and transition into something new, where God wants this church to be, to be effective in this community, to open all these doors, to have his glory rest on us and this church. I mean, don't you desire to see that? I know I do. It's pretty quiet for someone who wants to desire that. You guys need to ask some serious questions. You know, I can't be happy just turning up to church, doing this on a Sunday and that's it. There's nothing, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I serve in the church because I want to do my part so that I can do my part out there as well. I want to help you do your part out there. That's why we have leaders. That's why we have pastors. They're here. It's like Pastor Don said, it's like halftime in, in, a, in a rugby match. This is the locker room. We're all the players. We're the players. The pastor's the coach, giving us a new strategy, telling us what God is saying. This is the direction you need to go. This is what you need to do. We're all in this together, eh? Let's be honest with yourselves. We're never going to change if we don't. I feel pretty strongly about it because I feel we're at a crossroad where God is saying enough is enough of this garbage. It's time for the church to stand up. There's too much garbage in the world and the church has let it happen because we haven't stood up enough. We've lost our way. He's pointing us to the book of Acts because he wants us to jump on that momentum. That momentum's still there, but we just left it. It's not just this church, it's a lot of churches. It doesn't matter how big or small you are, 
If Jesus isn't the chief cornerstone, forget it. I know one thing I'm confident in is this church is, I know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone because I know the pastors. This church is over 30 years old. It's still here, still standing. So I know we can do it because otherwise God wouldn't be talking to us. If he gave up on us, we wouldn't be having these dreams. He wouldn't be talking to us and this church probably wouldn't even be standing. It's still standing because of God. Do you believe it or not? Seriously. Do you actually believe it? Are we going to change our perception? Go home and visualize what church should be like. Next Sunday, visualize miracles, signs and wonders, all of that stuff. Visualize walking through that door. Visualize, you know, all that stuff's actually here. It's just waiting for us to believe it. We are all anointed in our own special way to preach the gospel. It's not about, you don't need to be someone who preaches in the church to preach the gospel. That's for ministry of the word. But we all have a different way to preach the gospel, to unlock a door for someone out there. We can do it. We just got to get over ourselves and, don't get, and, and get over rejection. Who cares? The Bible says that our life's mere vapor. If you think about it, a mere vapor is just that flick of a, a lighter. If it's only that, and you're in eternity, then this means nothing. Rejection means nothing. I'd rather, rather just stop caring what people think and just be bold for God now, eh? That's what, that's what I desire. That's what we should all desire. You know, right now, the kingdom of heaven is open right now because we have the keys, you know. This is a sanctuary place. God is dwelling among us. Just believe. Can, can I have the band up? I want, I want the band to just go where you feel you need to go. I'm gonna, I want to hand it over to Richard Brown and Matt to, to close the service out.